about to go down because we live the gangster life living in their paradise today ladies and gentlemen we have a former hollywood boss gangster to now humanitarian mr orlando ori spado who became one of the most respected gangsters in hollywood he had a masterpiece book because he is a piece of the master called the Occidental Gangster. This book follows Ori's life from New York to Los Angeles, where he became a fixer for the Hollywood's elite, and he became friends and rubbed shoulders with notorious mob bosses like Meyer Lansky, Frank Costello, John Gotti, Sonny Francesi, Jimmy Cassi, and much, much more. It's a fascinating and exciting tale of the underdog persevering through all life's obstacles. Ladies and gentlemen, introduce you, Mr. Ori Espado. How are you, boss? How you doing, Carlo? How are you? Doing amazing. Please don't kill me, my friend. <laughs> my brother, such an honor to have you on the show. I've been wanting to, you know, I love bringing, if you guys watching me for over the years, we're bringing you guys all the latest. We want to entertain you guys here, teach you guys business, entrepreneurship, money-making tips, what's happening in the branding world, what is going on in Hollywood and New York and all the amazing places around the world. And today, ladies and gentlemen, you guys are in for a treat. Who here ever watched the movie The Irishman? So this brother here is connected to some of those OGs. And Ori, my friend, so my understanding is that, you know, you were born in Rome, New York, in 1944, and that your grandfather were part of the real mafia in Italy, because that's the real mafia, is in La, you know, like we call, you know, La Italia Mafia. And in America, we call La Cosa Nostra, which is a big different. And tell me about something. What is the difference between, you know, the, the Sicilian Mafia and then and the Calabrians? If you could tell us a little bit about that, you know, the origins of the Mafia. Well, the Calabrian Mafia, they call the Androgata. All right, uh, and it's mostly made up of each family is family members, so people that you could always trust. And what most people do not know, everybody knows of the Sicilian Mafia, okay, but what they don't know is the Andragata or the Calabrian Mafia is probably one of the biggest in the world. It's much bigger than the Sicilian Mafia, and they operate on a worldwide basis. And only recently, I mean, they've always been little ties here and there in the United States, but uh, normally by themselves, they operate. Interesting, interesting. And, and, and you said before, when I, when I interviewed that I was watching, that the, the mafia in Italy was started in a way to uh, protect our family, protect our own. Can you tell us about any crazy stories from Sicily, from Italia um, that you, you know, you because you were a child back then in Italy before you became a mob boss in this side of the world here. Um, can you tell us about any uh, stories about protecting our own, protecting our family in Italy back then when you were a kid? 
from yeah. your grandfather and your father? The whole thing began, all right, in the 1800s, all right, Sicily was invaded by the French and taken over. On Sunday afternoons, the, the wives would be in the park with their children and their carriages, and the French soldiers were raping the wives. The men had enough of that, got together, and said, we got to take care of our own. And that's how Mafia was born. And that's what we live by. We take care of our own. Okay? We very rarely go outside the family. And everything's done within the family uh, of Mafia. And it just spread through Italy. Each region of Italy's got its own. Calabria's got the Andragata. All right, the Camorra and Naples. And actually, there's two in Sicily. There's another one called the Stiditi. S-T-I-D-I-T-I. Okay. Uh, but, and, you know, and we came here to this country. And we follow the same rules. You know, once made into the mafia, you are brothers with everybody throughout the world. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, it fascinates me. I always, you know, um, you know, growing up in Brazil, <laughs> a lot of uh, corruption and crazy stuff that I seen as a kid. And, uh, you know, in Brazil, you know, it's uh, always chaos. I mean, you know, a little bit about my story. Father died in a car explosion. Stepfather was murdered. So, you know, I know a thing or two about mafia. And when it comes to protecting our own and, you know, back in the day, like in Brazil and a lot of Italians in Brazil, farmers, you know, somebody kills somebody's son, they will kill your daughter and vice versa, and they will never stop. And a lot of that comes, you know, from the whole Italy, how you guys used to do, do things in Italy. My wife is actually Mexican, Italian, American. I call her triple threat. So I have a bunch of Italian cousins in Brazil. So I know a lot of the history of Italy and the mafia. But you were born in the 40s, Ori, and, you know, you were enlisted in the army at age 18. And then you got discharged, correct? Correct. And then you started, you know, um, an insurance business. And then my understanding is that that was right after you were discharged. And then you were transferred to New York. No, no, you were transferred to LA from New York, and that's when the crazy started. Can you tell us about the whole transition? Well, uh, you know, that's when I uh, got involved with Hollywood, Dino De Laurentiis, Ralph Serpy, and a bunch of others. And, you know, I was sitting in uh, Dino De Laurentiis' office over on Cannon Drive one day, and they had a film going. It was going behind budget because an actor thought he knew more than a director, he was giving the director a hard time. And Dino, they were pulling their hairs out. I said, I can handle this. And they panicked a little, but I said, I'll go handle it, Don't, no problem. And I went over and I got the actor and I brought him aside, had a nice talk with him, made him understand. And from there on, the movie went and it ran on budget as it was supposed to and got made. And from there, we're spread out that we can handle problems. And I get calls from lawyers, agents, studios. Whoever had a problem, they would call me. And I handle them all without a gun. I handle them all with my brain. 
You got to think about the problem. You got to think of the solution of the problem. And you got to make the other person understand what the solution is. Interesting. And, and, and speaking about that, I was going to go into the Irishman here. Before I go into the Irishman, I heard that you helped uh, Naomi Campbell get a raid of her stalker. <laughs> you know, can you tell us what did you do, you know, to get away with her stalker? Because the celebrities will call you and you just get shit done. You know what I mean? And you're very good at communicating. And, they, you know, they, you were well-respected, you know, uh, mob boss in Hollywood. So how did you get away with her stalker? How did you help Naomi Campbell? Can you tell us about that? Well, you know, the most difficult part of it was to locate him. You know, I met with Naomi at her home, um, and I did that there because my friend White Club John of the Fuji's uh, asked me if I would talk with her. And I went up to her home, where she was having a Christmas party, and went in her office, she explained it to me. She was able to give me as much information as she could, but I had to locate the guy. And I did, and he was located in Long Island, New York. So I had a couple of my guys, I gave them specific instructions to get in the house, knock on the door. When the guy answered, just go right through the door, sit him down and put him on the phone with me. And I said exactly what happened. And I had a very nice, pleasant talk with him. At least I thought it was pleasant. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. And then um, I watched the Irishman. I'm actually going to bring here on the screen, um, you know, to prepare for this interview. And I, I just, I love that movie. And you knew uh, Joe Pesci, you know, in person, you know him and uh, that he played in this movie, the Irishman. And his real name is uh, Russell Buffalino. And he seems like, he was like a middleman that was connected to everybody. He was like that guy to know and around the mobs. So can you like tell us any stories that stands out from uh, Russell's life from the time that you knew him or stories well, that you heard of him? I, I met Russell Buffalino with my friend Frank Russo. Uh, we first time I met him was in New York City uh, at a favorite restaurant of his. It was called DeMarco. I, I still remember the name. And we had lunch. He was well-dressed, smart gentleman. I liked him. We had a nice lunch. The next time I seen him was after they arrested him in Pennsylvania. And they were bringing him to New York City. And uh, he was held over in, in Oneida County. And back in those days, uh, we had a lot of pull uh, with the sheriff's department who handled it. And so we were allowed in the prison. We would go there in the evening uh, where Russell was. We were only there a couple of days. But, we, you know, we were bring him spaghetti, meatballs, and the bread, and, you know, bring him a good meal. Uh, Russell was a very, very powerful individual as the movie show that he was. Joe Pesci did a fantastic job and deserves, uh, did he get a, did he win the award for that or not? No, um, I don't think so. Not now, because it was a Netflix film, no. Yeah, yeah. 
Now you, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think he got on that one, but yes, no, he did all a, a phenomenal, phenomenal job. I mean, I, I love that movie. I'm assuming you do too, by you know being friends with those guys. And did you happen to knew like uh, the Irishman or Jimmy Rafa? I didn't know Jimmy Hoffa. No, actually, okay. my father, my father used to go to you. My father formed the union. Uh, was one of the founders of the union for Revere Copper and Bryce. And he used to go to Chicago for meetings all the time. Uh, but no, I never met Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, as far as the Irishman, okay, that part of the movie is bullshit. Okay? <laughs> I love it. I love getting the intel from a mob boss. Right, so tell me, brother. <laughs> first of all, that's not the guy who killed Jimmy Hoffa. And secondly, they're never going to find Jimmy's Hoffa body. Because there is nobody. There is none. Wow. And they never transported the body to New York, like a lot of people say. I mean, you think that a professional is going to kill somebody and put them in the fucking trunk of a car and drive them to New York 600 miles? No. Hell no, for real. <laughs> I wouldn't thought that so either. This is great. I love you know hearing that from you from your perspective because I mean you are deep into this, and uh, I definitely know how powerful you know that is. I study it and I just love you know watching and reading about you know the stories that I heard, you know, growing up on the streets in Brazil. And you know, um, I used to go sell door, I would sell cable door to door back in the day, and I would recruit gangsters out of prison and I would teach them how to sell cable door to door. I would go to all the projects in Boston, in like Chicago, Connecticut, all the you know, there's a lot of former you know, mafia associates, you know, they were like, who the heck is this guy? They thought I was a cop. I was like, no, my friend, please don't kill me. I'm just the cable guy. They will patch me for wires. <laughs> and I, I have a very heavy accent. Please, please don't kill me. I'm going to buy my grandma medicine for her diabetes. Please, please don't shoot me. I'm just a cable guy. No police. <laughs> and uh, it's crazy. You know, uh, some of those projects out there, you know, they learn from all of you guys, uh, Italians, you know, and, and tell me something or at what point, you know what I mean, uh, um, your association with uh, organized crime started in your lifetime. When did that start? When did it start? Yeah. It was a slow progression. I was actually being groomed and introduced to everybody through my friend, Frank Russo, whose father was the boss back in the old days in upstate New York. Uh, and through him, I met every major mob boss in this country back in those days. And I was always sort of a renegade, never really claimed to be with anybody particularly. I always had my own crew. I always had my own guys around me. But when I uh, had to save a friend of mine's life, Walter Fife, and it's in my book, uh, that's when I met Sonny Frenchage. And Sonny and I, from that day on, he and I became close friends. Upon his death, a little over a year ago, I think it was, at the age of 103. Wow. I was talking to Sonny days before he passed away. 
So, uh, out here, that gentleman you saw right there, it, that's Joe Tadaro and Jimmy Kachi, right there. Jimmy Kachi's on the right. Joe Tadaro was the boss of Buffalo. He's passed away. Jimmy Kachi was the underboss of Los Angeles and the boss of Palm Springs, California. Jimmy was probably one of my dearest friends. Jimmy would spend weeks with me and then go back down to his home on weekends at Palm Springs. Now, Jimmy and I, we've been around the country together. We've done so much together. Jimmy, as you can see, always dressed, always a tie, always immaculate. Uh, a real gentleman and a real tough guy. Jimmy could do very serious things. Uh, and he and I made a lot of money together. Jimmy died while I was in prison. And even from prison, I was probably one of the last people to have talked to Jimmy. I remember calling him up and I could tell his words weren't coming out right. And I told him, I said, Jimmy, I'm going to hang up. I want you to call Betty and she's going to get you back in the hospital. Okay. And then I tried calling a few days later. I tried calling a week later. No answer. No answer. And every week I keep trying. No answer. Only his machine was coming on. And then I would call. And the phone no longer was in service. And that's how I officially knew that Jimmy Conchie had passed away. And eventually I got a hold of his sister in Buffalo and his son in Palm Springs. And they told me they were trying to get me, but there was no way they can call back. I was in prison. You know, you can't call into the prison, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's how I lost Jimmy Conchie. And, uh, yeah, I miss these folks dearly. And if anybody purchases my book, at the end of my book, you're going to see where I wrote a lot of letters to a lot of people. There's a letter to Sonny Franchise. There's a letter to Jimmy Kachi. There's a letter to my friend Frank Russo, as well as other letters. All right, even one to the U.S. House of Representatives. That's my mate, Joey Pyle from London. Joey was the boss of London. He and I were very close until his death. You're bringing me to a lot of dust here today, Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> I bought, I thought I was going to surprise you. I had the, I bought the photos of all the legends, all of your friends, and because I know that's, uh, uh, it's very meaningful to you. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, man, I do appreciate you, man. Those guys are, they are smiling heaven, you know what I mean? You are, the legacy continuing that you are telling now, and now you are out there sharing your stories and your book that I highly recommend everybody reading it because, you know, like you, you said something so powerful that I was reading about you, and I can relate so much with that. If your book can help save one life, one kid, one youngster out there from going into crime and going into philanthropy and going into doing something with their life, you will be happy. Just if it, one person do that. And that is something that I, I totally can relate, Ori. You know, it's it's my whole missions 
in life is to make poverty history. And if we can just sell, save one kid from the street, one person that leaves prison and help, you know, reform them so that instead of committing crime, they could go into the light. That's the choice that I had to make as a kid growing up in the streets in Brazil. I couldn't go and become a criminal because people took my family, they murdered them, they killed them, you know, bad things happened to me and I see evil things seen happen to kids and I could literally go an eye for an eye, but you know what happens to that. We either end up dead or in prison as many of our friends and the people that you and I knew growing up happens to them. And instead of God has spoken to me and they say, no, Carlos, you know, let's go out there, use all that anger and that hate and turn into a drive to go help others. So that if we can just save a few bunch, and I know that you and I, my friend, we're going to end up saving tens and tens of millions in our lifetime because we decided to turn to the good and share our wisdom with others. And it's an honor to have you here on my show because I know that your book, The Accidental Gangster, is going to help a lot of people out there, my friend. And, and, and uh, tell me something, my brother. My understanding is that you were made by the Colombo family. Can you walk us through that? Like, how did that happen? You know, uh, that whole process. If you no, could, uh, I, was, I was going to be proposed by Sonny Franchese to become a May member in the Colombo crime family. I that's did not Sonny want, right there, right? That's Sonny, yeah. I did not want to be a May man. I never took my button. I had big arguments with Sonny. Told him no, no, no. And then out here, Jimmy Kachi wanted to get me made. We came within a half an hour away. I mean, I was talking like crazy. I didn't want that button. I'm glad I never took that button. And I'm glad I didn't, okay? Wow. But you know, still in all, I lived by the rules of La Costa Nostra. I lived by the rules. All right. I follow the rules. And that's why I'm still here to be able to talk to you today, Carl. Wow. Okay. It's amazing. Because, you know, there's three words that people don't pay much attention to. And that's loyalty, honor, and respect. And as long as you have that there and you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, you're going to be okay. And like you said, in my book, I say, if I could help one young man, I've helped several young men. There was just, I was in a clubhouse room and a young man came on. His name was Johnny. He said, sir, I remember you when I was a little boy. You live somewhere in California. Honest to God, I, I remember the incident, can't remember the kid. But I was there with a bunch of other gangsters at his father's house. And he was just a little boy. And I looked at him then. I said, hey, that's a young man. Get an education. You don't want to be like us guys. And he came in a clubhouse room. He called me uncle. And he remembered that. And he never got involved in life. Now, there's another thing in my book. In the epilogue of my book, and Carl, I really respect you a lot because you read the book. And I'm only going to take interviews from people from now on who only read my book. If they haven't read my book, I'm not going to take an interview with them. Yeah, I respect All that. Right? 
and in my book, all right, if you recall in the epilogue, if you got there yet, the last paragraph of the epilogue, I ask for everybody. I say that we are all brothers and sisters in this world. Let's reach out. Let's hold each other's hands. And together, we all can make this world a better place. But it's going to take us all together. Thank you. Yes. Amen, brother. Amen, my friend. Guys, I highly recommend you guys reading this book. You know, we have another 20 minutes here before. Oris is loaded with interviews, and it's such an honor to have him here on the show. He's helping so many people out there. Highly recommend you guys picking up this book. Uh, share with other people in your communities because it can and it will save a life of any young criminals out there turning to the good side because going through that gangster world, it's not a life. Trust me on that. I lost quite a few friends growing up in Brazil. My brother Ori here, you know, was a mob boss. Yeah, I bet you he lost quite a few friends. And this is, and that's why we do what we do. We share, we speak. And, and it takes balls for, you know, Ori to share a lot of those things because, you know, the, the mafia, they, they sometimes they don't like that stuff. And, you know, it's even surprising to me, Ori, that they, because you say no, for, you know, from being made how they didn't took you out, man, that's a phenomenal. It shows that, you know, you did honor those three words that you had and you had a lot of respect for you, my brother. That's uh, um, it's amazing. And uh, tell me something, Ori. I heard that, that you were set up and then, you know, you lost, you know, your insurance license. And that's when the whole shit went to hell. And then uh, you have the dealings with, uh, you know, court and all the stuff uh, that you were sentenced uh, to prison. I believe it was for 68 or 62 months looking at my yeah. notes. So can you walk us through? That's when the whole thing went down after that they set you up and you lost the license. No, no, that was my first indictment in Syracuse, New York. Uh, there was another informant then. Uh, you know, I don't dwell on these things, Carl. People ask me why, and I say because they're negativity. I don't want to clutter my brain with negativity or bad thoughts. You know? What happened to me in my life, no matter how many informants it was throughout my life, there's been many, too many to count. But my life was my destiny. I, Ori Spado, I take full responsibility for everything I've done in my life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay? I take responsibility. It was me. This was my destiny. And all this led up at the age of 75, 70, I'm 76 now. All right. That I'm becoming a humanitarian and I only want to do good things to help people and help make this world a better place. Wow. I love that, brother. I love that. You know, uh, that's just phenomenal. You know, it's like what an incredible story. And, um, you know, you do say something um, about like that, that you, you know, you hate informants 
and he believes in old-fashioned honor. And my understanding is that at, in Hollywood, in LA, in New York, um, Sonny Fressy, he was the underlying born of the Colombian cartel mafia. Was oh. that, was it Sonny? Sonny was the underboss of the Colombo crime family. And, and that was the person that you would, you, you would hang around with and you, you um, the most? In New York. Yep. Out here, I was Jimmy Kachi. So here I was. I had two underbosses, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. <laughs> I bet you were well protected. Nobody could mess with you. Now I know how the whole thing links up and the celebrities came to you. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I uh, it's an amazing story. I look back at it, I go, how the fuck did I do that? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was so excited. I was like, how do I prepare for this show? It's like so much that I wanted to know. And I bet you even our audience here uh, watching us, they're like, what the heck is going on? A mob boss connected to from, you know, come all the way from Sicilia, Italia, you know, the true mafia, and then coming to America, La Cosa Nostra, and now connected to both East, because everything is started in New York. You know, the true mafia started there. And then it come in the east, and then it came to the west. She started in New Orleans, Carl. In New Orleans? Yeah. Wow. So that's when the Sicilia first migrate when they came. Yeah. Interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. Yeah. And then hey, history on that. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. I think it's in my book. You know, when I was living in New York and on weekends, I would go upstate New York at my mom's house to visit my children. And one time I was leaving and my uncle lived with my mother and he read a lot of books. And he used to like to write, read crime books. And my mother, I love my mom. She comes down, she's got these books. And she says, here, I know these people are your friends. Kyle, that was probably 1970-something. I've gone through, I've gone through some things the other day. You know, a mother always knows. A mother always knows. A mother has an instinct that's unbelievable. But here, I went through, and would you believe I still have one of those books? Look at it. Lucky Luciano. 1969. Wow. This book was 75 cents. Look at that. 75 Lucky cents. Luciano, wow. Look at, Look at it. It's all yellow in there. Okay. But I believe I still have that. It's amazing. <laughs> That's so amazing, man. I, my grandma always tell me to read books. And whenever she would see me, you know, because I would help my friends sell their stuff on the streets. I would sell bread when I was a kid. And I would help my friends sell the empanada and sell their products. At one point, my grandma, you're not helping these people sell drugs, right? Because she saw I became very good at selling. I say, no, grandma, I'm helping them sell the other stuff because I was getting an override on their on their stuff. And she saw make me some money. I say, I want to make a lot of money so that I can't, you don't have to be abused by my grandpa anymore, coming home drunk at night. And my mother also wouldn't have to be abused anymore. 
and we could leave the hood and I could provide you guys a better life and I could come back one day and help my friends so they didn't have to die. That was my why. And that's why I always tell people everything that I do in life, it's not business. For me, it's freaking personal. And I always tell the whole world, you want to win in anything in life? You want to make a freaking difference? You make it freaking personal. Because when it's personal, you don't lose. When it's personal, I took that anger, that hate, the disgraces, and I turned into that drive to make this world and just live it a little bit better than what we came into. And it's funny, you're talking about your mother telling you that book. I remember my grandma telling me, Ori, and she go, feel you? Dígame con quem andas e te direi quem és. Tell me who you're hanging with and I'll tell you who you are. And I can imagine your mother telling you those same things. You know, my grandma tell me the same old things because I was always on the streets, hustling, working hard, selling my bread and helping my friends selling their shit. And my grandpa, my grandma was like, I hope I pray. I, I say, grandma, you pray so much for me that I always had opportunities to go deal with guns and drugs. But I say no, because I remember the belt of my grandfather and being on my knees on a hundred degree on the, on the corn whenever I did anything wrong. And I think that saved me from crime. And, uh, oh man, so many amazing stories, my friend. And, and, and Ori, did you ever had like any like uh, enemies? I'm assuming you grew up, I mean, you had, but like weeding the, the mafia itself, because I know you guys dealt among you guys, but any anybody that stands out, any enemy within the mafia or other mafia families that you had a beef with? There was a funny thing in Las Vegas. I had a friend, well, he's still alive. My friend, uh, he goes by the name of Danny Jordan. Danny's in the music business. And he uh, lived in Las Vegas. And he had these uh, different singers from different shows around Vegas. He put them together and created a country group. They were really, really good. But there was somebody else in Las Vegas, a guy named Johnny, who wanted them. And so he called me up and he wanted me. He said, oh, you be the manager. Well, right away, what do you want me to be the manager for? I don't even know these girls, all right? And now you be the manager in this way, nobody will bother us. So I became the manager of them. I went to Vegas, I met them. Nice girls, they were good. And Danny was supposed to handle everything out. And this other guy, Johnny, was really fucking pissed. And one day he called me up. And I thought it was another Johnny. I thought it was another Johnny we knew by the name of Johnny Popcorn, who was a big fat guy. This guy was a big fat guy too. He's yelling and screaming on the phone. I'm going to have you at a fucking sit down. You and he's calling me fucking names. And I said, well, you know, call who the fuck you got to do and we'll have a fucking sit down. I said, but come to L.A., I said. You know I mean? I'm going to fucking call John. I'm going to have a couple guys out there. I said, yeah, all right. Do yourself a favor, I said. Buy them one-way tickets. They're not coming back. The next day, this guy owned a delicatessen in Las Vegas. The very next day, my friend Jimmy Cachi's there. Stops in to see him. Jimmy knew the guy. This guy's fucking going, this fucking Ori Spado. I called John. He's referring to John Gotti. All right, having two guys come out. They're going to wipe this motherfucker. And this guy's going, this fucking Ori. Jimmy said, what? 
floor knock me. He said, you make that call back. Nobody's coming here. Nobody's telling or he's made up. And the guy made the call. And would you believe that guy and I became very good friends <laughs> after that? Wow. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of enemies. I ended up becoming friends with them. Sometimes true enemies can become your closest friends. You never know in this world. Yes. Amen, brother. You know what I always say, Art? That love and pray for your enemies. You know, it's something that my grandma always taught me. You know, treat everybody like you would treat your grandma. Whenever somebody is jealous of you, they hate on you. You know, because I bet you that, you know, you, you suffer from that a lot. Imagine if social media would be up back in you guys' days. Holy shit. <laughs> the stuff that you guys would record. Or you guys would probably shoot people if they would have their phone up. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Thank God it was only, I think, maybe pagers back in you guys' days. Because you guys would use the pagers to record whenever there was a crime. You guys would put which pager it was. For the which family did the, did the hit or did the job or not to fuck around, you know. I imagine if it was social media, but you're talking well, you about know, you got to remember, Carl. Back in our day, the only people that had fucking cameras were the <laughs> FBI. Oh shit! You know, so, you know, my son asked me, "Hey, pops, how come you don't have any pictures with Sonny, with Jimmy, with this guy, with that guy?" I said, "Because we saw fucking cameras. We ran. Okay, <laughs> we didn't want our picture taken." <laughs> only the fans oh, amazing my brother as we come into the end of this show just phenomenal I wish we could be here for another hour I know you have another show in 14 minutes so we will wrap it up over here in the next 3-4 minutes um, a question that I always love to ask all my guests and is this you're still a young man but let's say 50 years from now is your eulogy and I am there. I'm smoking a cigar. I'm drinking some good scotch from Sicilia. And I'm listening to ACDC or to Pavarotti. And they are reading your eulogy. And they're going to say, Orlando, a.k.a. my boss, amazing philanthropist, Ori Spado, was an incredible human being. He came to this planet and he used all that he knew from his mob days to inspire millions of kids to turn into good. And Ori Spado was, in his own words, what are they going to read on your eulogy? Ori Spado was, dot, dot, dot. What are they going to say, my friend? A man of his word. Yeah, baby. I love it. A man of his words. True. Very, very good, my friend. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I was just like, you know, you bought so many, so many memories here with moms and grandmas and uh, the crazy old days on the streets. A true honor to have you here, my brother, and uh, to knowing you and call you a friend. And uh, looking forward to hanging out many, many times in L.A. <laughs> no hit me around. Hi, Carl. Look me up. This was a very fun show. Uh, all my love and respect to you. 
All right, you did an excellent job, my friend. Thank you, brother. And okay. I highly recommend, guys, you guys watching us at home, check it out, uh, theaccidentalgangster.com. You can uh, look it up, Ori Spato. He's always out there on social media. He's on Clubhouse. He loves speaking, giving back, sharing his wisdom. Highly recommend. Let's uh, all purchase his book, buy a few copies, give it back, because you never know which kid, which somebody that's going to turn away from crime and turn that into good. And then if like always say, if we can just save one life worth saving, it was worth writing this book. My friend, always go to my website, the accidental gangster.com. And they mention, uh, and they purchased from my website and they say, they mentioned Carlo. I'll give you the free audio book along with the book. Why right there, guys, you go to Ori uh, website, purchase the book, AccidentalGangster.com. Uh, my team watching the show right now, do me a favor, drop a link in the comments, the AccidentalGangster.com. Buy the book and type in, you watch, you bought, you watch, you saw Ori on the Carlos Inspire show, and you're going to get the free audio. And uh, did you record the audio in your own voice? No, I didn't. <laughs> it, it, it's pretty good, though. The guy did a great job. No, very good. But I just love your voice. You know what I mean? I love your voice. And uh, uh, that's awesome. I'm looking uh, forward. I, I read it. Now I want to listen, you know. Then, All uh, right. Very, uh, very cool. Can you email. have it, ladies and gentlemen? Carlos, send me your email. I'll send it to you. Okay? Yes, sir. Thank you. God bless All you, my friend. God have an outstanding day. Thank you, everyone. You guys know the drill. The days that break you are truly the days that make you. God bless. God bless, buddy.